one 990 The number, help at the insurancelawyer.ca. We'll talk about it a little later on. That is the injury calculator. Find a pain and suffering amount of your claim, where it should be, the real number. James, Savan, hey guys, how are you? What's good, how are you? Good, man. What's uh, Who's going first? Who's going to shoot first? I'll go first. All uh, right. There was a story that came out yesterday. Uh, it was all over the, the news, mostly the American news. In California, one of the big insurers, Aetna, it has apparently, uh, or they're apparently being investigated by the insurance commissioner. What's happened is their chief medical officer under oath has given evidence that in his entire time working for Aetna, he has never once reviewed a patient's records when, when determining whether or not Aetna was going to approve of their claim. And what he said is this is according to their policy. What happens there apparently is that they will have nurses review the files and summarize it, and based on that, they, the doctors will give their opinion. Now, this is a California case. I want to you know, make that yeah, distinction. Yeah. This didn't happen in Ontario. But having said that, if this were you know, in the Toronto Star about a Canadian insurer, I can't tell you I would be shocked. I cannot tell you I would be shocked at all based on what we see on a day-to-day basis. Um, does that mean that it's happening all the time? No, uh, but I'm sure it does happen. Uh, there are many decisions that seem to be made without a doctor actually looking at the records. Wow. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. And we see this all the time. James is right. You know, I mean, whenever we start a legal claim, uh, for a person on long-term disability, we end up getting the complete file that the insurance company has. They have a legal obligation to give us, uh, to give us that file. And, and, you know, the things that we see sometimes when we look through the file, I mean, I can tell you uh, our eyebrows, uh, eyebrows, I mean, just everything, just the antennas wow. just go up, right? I mean, it, it's just amazing. Uh, so in any event, uh, if, you're, if you're dealing with an insurance company, you have a long-term disability claim, you've been injured and you're dealing with insurance, give us a call. Don't deal with them on your own. That's I'll, the lesson here. I'll, wow. t- I'll tell you what I do see, just to, to make this a, a little bit closer to home. What I do see all the time when I get the files from the insurance company, the adjuster who's handling the file will provide a summary to the doctor. And it is not at all uncommon that the doctor's opinion is essentially just regurgitating what the adjuster has told them in the summary. And so it just becomes a feedback loop. It's not always the case, but often it is, particularly where the doctor isn't actually assessing the claimant in person, where they're just doing a review of the medical file. That happens not infrequently. Not infrequently. How does that hold water with moving as opposed to the, the person on disability who's got a, you know, possibly a team of doctors that have done actual physical work with them? If it actually went to court, it wouldn't. Right. It wouldn't. But, you know, they're banking on the fact that most people aren't going to challenge them. The way it goes. That's exactly true. What else you got going on? Though? All right. So uh, this weekend, uh, just like every weekend now, the Employment Hour and 30 airs on Saturdays yep. at uh, 10, 10 o'clock in the morning, right? My partner, Lior Global TV. Yeah. Exactly. This weekend, this past weekend, I was on the show as well, mm-hmm. and I spoke about disability. And, and so uh, on Sunday, I got this email from this lady, and let me read you that email. She says, good morning. I watched the Employment Hour and 30 uh, every week with my husband, and on Saturday morning, you touched on a subject that I have some questions about, insurance claims and denials. To make a really long story short, here is a summary. In January 2013, I was forced to take time off due to high stress levels as a result of unrealistic expectations from my employer. After following the procedures of the insurance company, my claim was denied by my insurer. I researched insurance denials and lawyers that deal with this type of law. I found a place near where I was living. I met with them and they took on my case. Now, this is in 2013. 
Here's what she writes next. In the following years, I have made numerous attempts to contact them, the lawyers, requesting updates on my case. The most recent update I got was in March of 2015. And then she goes on and on and on. And essentially what happened is that she has not been able to get in touch with these lawyers since March of 2015. She found out that some of them now work in another law firm that I know of in Toronto. Uh, and, And so she concludes by saying, what can I do at this point? Can you help me? And she says, you know, I knew I was told these kinds of claims take a while to resolve, but I didn't realize that it would take this long. Remember, this lady went on disability back in 2013. This is over five years ago. She retained these lawyers and hasn't heard anything from those lawyers for about three years now. These claims, I'm telling you from experience, they resolve anywhere from if, if, you know, we are really, really lucky within a few weeks, sometimes within a few months. But James, correct me if I'm wrong, rarely do these LTD claims that we deal with uh, in the office, do they last longer than a year? Some of them may, but generally speaking, it's under a year. This lady not only is is still out of work, still has, you know, this disability that's plaguing her, she doesn't even know what's going on with her case. No, it's quite right. I, I mean, it is rare that you see it go more than a year. If it's If you're not able to resolve it, then, you know, maybe... If it's a jurisdiction where it takes a long time to get to trial, maybe three years, three and a half at the absolute outset. But, you know, for to go on that long is really unusual. And if it were going on that long, you would expect the lawyer to be communicating and explaining exactly why so that there isn't, you know, any question or, you know, mystery with a client as to why it's taking as long as it is. If that's you, phone call one 9646 Otherwise, call that number anyway. Keep it with you. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. We'll get to that. More of the week that was. More cases have come through your desk, uh, Savannah James, after we take a short break. If you haven't tried it, you can try it now as we uh, take a short pause. Injurycalculator.ca. We'll be back. We'll talk uh, in more depth about that particular tool as well. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number. It is the injury calculator at injurycalculator.ca. That is for calculating the pain and suffering component of your claim. I want to go back to just what you're talking about before, Savannah, before the break. That extended case that someone's working on, right, or not working on. That's right, John. It's this lady who emailed me after seeing uh, the TV show Employment Hour and Thirty over the weekend, and she had a disability case. Uh, that went back to January 2013. She hires these lawyers, um, I'm not going to mention names, and hasn't heard from them since March of 2015, has no clue what is going on with her disability case, her long-term disability mm-hmm. case. If you are out there it is, and, and you're facing a long-term disability dispute with your insurance company, maybe you've been cut off disability, maybe you've been denied long-term disability. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's someone you know, a colleague, a friend, someone you know, it's so vitally important to make sure that you get the right representation. I mean, this is a prime example of this lady who has now been on disability, or not on disability, but has been disabled for over five years and has no clue what's going on with her case. And you know, my concern is that no legal claim was initiated. And if no legal claim was initiated against the insurance company, the insurance company owes her nothing. Now, we may be able to go after those lawyers who potentially screwed this up. But, you know, again, very, very important. These cases do not take long to resolve. They, they just don't. Every case is individual. Every case, mm-hmm. you know, we have to look at the facts of each case. But generally speaking, long-term disability disputes are not difficult to resolve if the lawyer that's handling the case knows what they're doing and is moving them urgently forward. They're not just sitting on these claims and shelving them. 
So, James, if, if they didn't move the case, or at least they didn't file a legal claim, is she well out of time? Almost certainly, wow. yeah. I mean, it depends on the date of the denial. You have two years from the date it was denied. And 2013. Yeah, we, that was the day of yeah. the denial. So, I, I mean, there's really not a lot of gray area here. Wow. Um, you know, in other areas, there are limitation issues where sometimes you can bring a claim outside of it. This isn't one of them. You have, it, it's pretty cut and dry. The date of the denial, you got two years, and if you don't bring your claim within then, no matter how many times you've appealed, it doesn't matter. Two years. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. The other thing that I want to mention is that if you are not getting responses from your lawyers when they're handling your case, extremely important that you know you, you document that in writing and you don't just sit and wait. I mean, this lady just waited for for three years essentially before contacting me, and uh, you know we're going to have to deal with it. We're going to do our best to help her, but do not be one of those people who just buries their head in the sand and doesn't do anything. It's your claim. It's your money. It's your future. It's your life. Let me move on to a different yeah. one. I got this email as well from uh, this this uh, lady as well. This is about long-term disability. It's a very short email. The subject line reads, urgent, capital letters, third appeal LTD. Oh, okay, I'm looking at it right now in front of me. Here's what she writes. Dear Sivan, I would appreciate it if you could contact me to arrange an appointment. I've been denied two appeals for LTD, and I have until March 6th, 2018 for the last appeal, after which my file will be closed. So, I get this email, uh, and uh, the first thing I do is, and this was on the weekend, I email her and I say, your rights do not expire when the insurance company tells you they expire because you haven't filed an appeal by a certain deadline. Look at when you were first denied your disability. It's two years from that point in time. But don't wait those two years. In fact, don't even wait a week don't do these appeals. This lady is contacting me after her third appeal. Uh, you know, s- sorry, this lady is contacting me after two appeals. You know, have, have been denied. She's looking at a third. And she doesn't know what to do. How much time? You give us a call. That's my point. Now, I, at this point, I don't know what the denial letter says. I need yeah. to see the denial letters. I need to understand when she was denied. You know, what is the basis for the disability? But I'm just looking at her email, and she's concerned that because the insurance company said that if you don't provide your third appeal by March 6th, your claim will be closed. Nothing will be closed. Don't be afraid when the insurance company tells you you have a deadline, and by that deadline, if you don't appeal, you know your rights are going to get extinguished. That's not the case. It's two years, two years from the date that you were first denied or cut off disability, okay? And that's a two-year limitation period that you have to file a legal claim, not to do an appeal. So very important, you're facing a denial, you're facing a cutoff of disability payments, you give us a call. You don't do these appeal nonsense maneuvers that the insurance company is asking you to do. Most people are going to turtle at that point. They hear that, they're going to be, I'm done. Sure they do. I'm done. They they walk away. It's designed to do that. They're they're using language that's designed to give you a sense of finality, that it's over, we're closing our file. Oh no, I can't do it. Yes, you can. That means nothing. It has the legal significance of eating a ham sandwich. It doesn't matter. They can close their file. They can lock it away. They can burn it. It makes no difference. It's still two years from the date that you were cut off. That's it. That's it. They can tell you whatever else they want to tell you. It doesn't matter. That, your emails and stories coming up. one 990 is the number. Help at the It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show. It's Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
one 9646 the number to get a hold of James, Savan, the, uh, the rest of the team at the uh, law firm as well. Emails, we've got to a few. you want to send one over. It's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and we'll get right into fightformailtd.com and injurycalculator.ca after uh, you want to talk about this, Savan. That's right. So this is an individual who contacted us from Ottawa, and uh, he's in tremendous distress. He's suffering from psychological issues, and he has a psychiatrist that is treating him and uh, he doesn't know what to do. And what's happened is this. He's 59 years old, has been on LTD for a while, and his insurance company, his LTD insurer, wants him to try a return-to-work mm-hmm. program. Okay, They want him to gradually start going back to work. He's very concerned about that. What did he do? Responsible person. Uh, he set up a time to meet and speak with his psychiatrist. That uh, appointment that he has with his psychiatrist is for, is for uh, February 21st. Uh, of 2018 at 10.30 in the morning. That's because his psychiatrist is away on vacation until that time. Okay, what does the insurance company do? James, any idea? What do they do? What do they do? All right, I'll tell you what they do. (laughs) I'll save you the suspense here. They tell him that he must return back to work by Uh February 19th. Of course. Okay, otherwise they're going to cut him off. So I get this email, which is a frantic email. I understand why it's frantic, because he's concerned he's going to get cut off, right? They're telling him February 19th, you got to go back February 21st is when his appointment is. So here's what he writes. He says, I'm overwhelmed, as you will read in my letter. He says, it's a bullying tactic. He's completely right. It does not make sense to return to work on the 19th and then see my doctor on the 21st. It should be the other way around. Last time, my insurance company forced me back to work. I almost got killed with two patients in the company van. So this apparently has happened before. Insane. But we see these things day in and day out. And here's the message. Don't be dealing with these insurance companies on your own when you are facing these crises. Don't do that. Just contact us. And remember, once we get involved, once we get into the picture, we are the ones dealing with the insurance company, not you. Right? You're not going to get any more phone calls, emails, letters. Everything goes through us. So you can actually focus on trying to get better. But, I mean, just how underhanded you know, this maneuver is. They know that he's seeing his doctor, you know, on the 21st, and they're telling him, you have until the 19th to agree to go back to work. Come on. The thing that I bump on here is that it happened before, and it happened and there was a consequence to it. He almost got in a pretty significant accident. Uh, And, you know, to do it again, knowing that in the past it has, you know, had this impact on him, and doing it without having his doctors go right. ahead on it. Yeah. They're opening themselves up to a punitive or aggravated damages claim, which means that they could be on the hook for more than just what he's owed under the policy, but for actual money on top of that because the court's going to say, no, you can't do that. You have a duty to act in good faith and you're not doing it. Injury calculator, give me some details. It's an online tool. We've been having it, uh, we've been talking about it for a few years mm-hmm. now. If you've been injured uh, through no fault of your own, car accident, slip and fall, something happened to you and you've injured uh, yourself and you want to know, does it make sense to start a legal claim? What can I be looking at for pain and suffering damages? So let's say I was in a car accident, I hurt my back, now I have chronic back pain. You know, you go on the injurycalculator.ca and you input a few key pieces of information about your accident, about your injury. It'll take you 15 seconds, 20 seconds. It's mostly pull-down menus. And uh, you just click submit at the end. And this calculator is essentially a database of cases from across Canada uh, that we've put into the calculator. And it scans the calculator for uh, similar type cases like yours, Mm -hmm. people with similar types of injuries. What have courts in the past awarded them for pain and suffering? And it gives you a range. It tells you that for your particular injury, you can expect uh, to, to receive 
uh, if you start a legal claim, uh, X to Y in damages, you know, 30 to 40,000 or whatever the amount is. Now, remember, it's only for pain and suffering, right? Sometimes you have other types of losses, income losses. Uh, maybe you have certain types of treatments you're getting that are not covered. So you're going to get other types of, of losses that you want to examine. Uh, and remember also that every case is unique and specific, right? Uh, but the good thing is that once you get that result at the end, you can click submit. We get the email. We start a conversation with you. Again, this is all free of charge. And then you can decide if you want to proceed with a legal claim or not. At the very least, you understand and you know what kind of uh, losses, what kind of compensation you can be looking at for your losses. Yeah, I'll ask you this before we uh, we take a short break in a couple of minutes. So in the context of LTD case, what's the difference between a family doctor's report and a specialist report? What happens if you don't have either or both? It really depends on what kind of illness that you're dealing with. Uh, there are some illnesses where I wouldn't go forward unless I had a specialist opinion. Um, and then there are others that are you know, best covered by a family doctor. What I will say first and foremost is it's always much better to have at the very least the treating doctor's uh, opinion on the record. And whether that's a treating specialist or family doctor, that's who you want. There are some cases where you're not going to really be followed for, for your disability by your family doctor. They might be aware of it right. and you might check in with them every six months or so, but they're not the one who is really providing you the treatment. And in those cases, their opinion is really not that significant. In other cases, particularly where you're dealing with someone who doesn't have just one disability, but has an array of different symptoms, some of them might be neurological, some of them might be cognitive, some of them might be musculoskeletal, all kinds of different specialties could be involved in that kind of case. I really want the family doctor because right. the family doctor is going to be the one in the best situation to oversee all of it, to know what's going on and to provide an overall opinion about the Sorry. level of functioning. And that's really what you're looking at when you're dealing with disability. So it really depends on the type of case. But in oh. any case, you know, I always, you know, if it's something specialized, I want the specialist over the generalist. And in any case, I want the treating over someone who's just looking at paper cool. or even interviewing them once and providing a quick opinion. The other thing to consider is that family doctors in many cases uh, have known the person for many, many years, yeah. even before the disability. And so unlike the specialist who's been uh, treating this individual for the particular disability for which they are claiming uh, payments, you know, when you're dealing with a family doctor who has been seeing this person for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, the doctor, that doctor, the family doctor is in a position to give the before and after picture. Pretty good yardstick of what's going on, very, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's oh. very, very helpful when you're trying to figure out, you know, what is the nature of the disability, as James said, that, you know, the, the extent of functional impairment, and it just goes hand in hand with the specialist. I, and I actually find that that's particularly important, not just for disability cases, but actually especially for injury cases. Yeah. In disability cases, we're really not typically concerned with the cause of the disability. It doesn't really matter what caused it. It just cool. matters the fact that they are disabled. Whereas with an injury case, the cause really does matter. And so being able to show it on a timeline and be able, being able to show what they were like up until that certain point in time is really significant. And so in those cases, especially, I really want a family doctor's opinion. one 9646 the number. It is MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Check that out in the Injury Calculator, as we mentioned earlier as well, InjuryCalculator.ca. Lots more of the show coming up and right to your emails after a short break. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. It is mydisabilityquestions.com. Emails as well. Help at the insurancelawyer.ca. One of you guys can take this one. Says uh, 
Bill, my wife was recently diagnosed with schizophrenia and uh, adjustment disorder. She's on meds, but they make her very depressed. She's 42 and clearly can't work. Her long-term disability insurer denied her claim twice. She won't try again because she doesn't want to deal with them. Can you help? Yes, the answer, Bill, is absolutely we can help. And again, this is something we see day in and day out, uh, where you have people who are just frustrated by the process. And, and frankly, they feel that you know the little energy they have that they could be putting towards trying to get better, they have to put that towards dealing with these frustrating yeah. insurance companies, only to get rejected and rejected and rejected. So you know, it's a good thing, Bill, that you had contacted us, and we're going to continue this conversation off air. Uh, but I can tell you right now, so long as we have the necessary medical information that we need, we need to see the denial letter from the insurance company or denial letters in this case. I'm telling you, we will most likely be able to help. And frankly, it's not going to take us more than a few minutes to assess whether or not we can help. And again, here's the best thing, and I think it's the best thing for your wife. She's not going to have to deal with the insurance company once we move in. Once we are in the picture, we are the ones that are dealing with the insurance company. I can't tell you, John, how many times I've met with people face-to-face. I've spoken with them for half an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes even two hours. And what they've taken away from that conversation, that initial consultation, is that, oh, my God, I'm not going to have to speak with the adjuster anymore. No more phone calls. No more phone calls. You're the one going to be dealing with them? Yeah, yeah. We are the ones that are going to be dealing with the insurance company. We're the ones going to be pushing back. You're going to be involved. It's still your case, but you're not going to be getting any more of those phone calls, emails, letters. You can actually focus on trying to get better, which is the whole point of this exercise. It's the whole point of having disability insurance in the first place. It's supposed to be a safety net, something to allows you, sorry, to allow you to to to, to get back on track. So this is what we're going to help you do. You know, James, she says right in that letter. You know, uh, tried twice, not going to do it again. It's like it's mission accomplished for the insurance company. Wore her down, and they won. She doesn't want to do it again. Absolutely. She's had enough. Absolutely. And when you're talking about mental health claims, the you know, it seems to me that the denials are far more frequent. Now, you know, if I am being generous, you might say that's because they're typically subjective in nature mm-hmm. and a little bit more difficult to prove. Um, if I'm being a little bit more skeptical, I might say it's because the insurance companies know that the people that you're dealing with that are suffering from mental health claims are exactly the type of people that aren't going to have the wherewithal and the energy to fight them on it. Huh. You know, someone who's dealing with depression and has an adjustment disorder and schizophrenia, that's not someone who is going to be able to organize themselves and to get up the fight to challenge an insurance company, particularly on their own. And that's where we come in. That's what we do. We take that off of your plate, let you focus on what you need to in order to address your issues. You know, CPP, we talk about CT, uh, CPB, disability, LTD. Um, should they apply for it at the same time? What's the difference? Where, how do they, uh, how do they uh, manage that one? Yeah, you, you, you want to apply for it um, and right away. There's no reason not to. Okay. Um, if you are, you, the test for a CPP disability, first of all, is a little bit more stringent than the test um, that's typically applied for disability claims, uh, particularly in the first two years. And we've talked about that before on the show. The first two years is whether or not you can return to your own op- uh, occupation. The test is um, certainly more stringent for CPP. So if you apply for CPP and you're approved, particularly early on, that's pretty good evidence in and of itself that your disability insurer ought to be paying for your disability benefits. Um, but beyond that, there's really no downside to doing it. If you apply for a CPP and you're approved, then that's great. You yep. get those benefits. And if you're also approved for your LTD, then it's just a credit towards your LTD insurer. So you're not going to double recover, but you haven't lost anything either. 
But if you are approved CPP and you're not improved, you're not approved uh, for your disability benefits, at least you have something coming in. At least you have it there. And if you don't apply for it, the, your disability insurer in almost every disability policy I've seen, there's a clause in there that says that if you don't apply for it, they're entitled to take a deduction for what you would have received. So they're going to argue that they're entitled to just reduce your disability benefits by $1,000 a month or whatever it is. Um, so if you've applied and they've denied you, they can't do that. So there's no downside to you applying. Right. Just you do it. And it doesn't affect your claim, Savannah, if you don't make it through the filter for CPP. No, you don't. And no. In fact, I think the Toronto Star last year um, had an article where they uh, gave some percentages that were looking into mm-hmm. how many people were uh, awarded CPP disability. And remember, if you rejected for CPP disability, you can also appeal that decision. That's very right. different than appealing a long-term disability claim. Uh, but James is absolutely right. I mean, the pro here is that you're getting an independent income source. Uh, in the event that your LTD uh, benefit is either denied or cut off. And it takes out the argument from the insurance company of saying, well, you know, your client did not apply for CPP, and so therefore we're going to assume that had he or she applied, they would have gotten X, and we're going to deduct that from how much we pay. Well, if the person has actually applied for CPP disability and were denied, that doesn't mean that they're not going to get or not are not entitled to LTD, but right. at least now the insurance company can't argue that they're entitled to this hypothetical deduction. we got a couple minutes. I'll get to an email quickly here. Shauna writes in, says, My sister was in a car crash last month. Another car rear-ended her car and caused a lot of damage. She's at home off work, but she still has nausea, headaches, and a lot of pain. The doctors think she has concussion. What should she do about the driver that hit her? She has a paralegal friend that offered to help. The first thing that strikes me about this um, is that your sister is suffering from concussion symptoms a month after the accident. That's serious. When you are suffering concussion symptoms for you know weeks and months after an accident, that suggests to me that we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And that's typically what your doctors are going to tell you if you've suffered a concussion that has symptoms that extend beyond just a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on how old your sister is, that can impact her ability to work for years, even decades into the future. So this can be a very serious claim. And you want to make sure that you are doing everything right from the outset from a legal perspective. Now, I understand that your sister's hired a paralegal. Um, Paralegals can help with accident benefits. That's what they can do. When you're talking about an injury claim, that is the scope of what they're allowed to do, what the law society says, this is what you can do. They cannot bring a legal claim. So that means what they can do is they can help you recover you know, $400 a week for income replacement benefits, and they can help you recover some amount of money for your medical and rehabilitation treatment. That's about it. And they're going to charge you for that. And I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't. This is their livelihood, and that's fine. But you're going to pay a price for that. On the other hand, you have this whole other legal claim there. So there is you know, a, a significant claim potentially for loss of income, again, for possibly decades into the future that they can't help you with. And you need someone with experience that's going to be able to look at that and make sure that you are being seen by who you need to at every stage of, the, uh, every stage of your treatment and your litigation to make sure that you're set up so that not just your, your accident benefits claim, but so your legal claim is going to be protected. And a paralegal simply can't do that. The other thing that is worth noting is that, you know, we certainly at our firm, we we handle accident benefits along with legal claims. When we're handling accident benefits, we don't charge our clients for that as long as the insurance company approves of the claims, which early on they typically do. 
down the road, of course, our insurance companies are going to cut you off at some point. And once they cut you off, and if we have to challenge that, yes, there's there are charges beyond sure. that. But for while they're actually paying paying your benefits, they're not denying it. We don't charge you a dime for that. We don't charge anything. So that's a huge advantage. And the much bigger advantage, of course, is that you're going to have an overall strategy that is looking at maximizing what your recovery right. w- recovery is, both for acts and benefits, and more importantly, for the legal claim. Whereas the paralegal is really just looking at your accent benefits. It's the only thing they're concerned about. one 9646 the number, the injury calculator at injurycalculator.ca. And if you want to check it out, fightformyltd.com as well. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 1-888-990-9646, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. Got a question. So what happens if you cross the road uh, properly, hit by a car, and can't work because of your injuries? Who pays for your loss of income? Well, so this is an interesting question because it does happen uh, and happens quite a lot, unfortunately. Uh, The thing to keep in mind is this. If you are crossing the road um, and you get injured because of a car, uh, you know, you're still going to be entitled to accident benefits, exactly what James was talking about on the, the last segment. And that includes income replacement benefits, medical rehabilitation benefits, etc. The question is, who pays for that? Well, the first question that we have is, do you, as the individual who were injured, the pedestrian, do you have uh, automobile insurance your yourself? Yep. Because if you do, they're going to be paying for those benefits. And that's not to say that your premiums are going to go up. It's just that under statute, by legislation, your insurance company has to kick in those benefits. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't go after the guy who hit you or the girl, whoever it is, uh, for compensation for future loss of income if you aren't able to work, for pain and suffering, etc. Now, what happens if you don't have automobile insurance and you're a pedestrian? Well, the uh, insurance company that insured the driver or the owner of the vehicle that hit you, they're going to be on the hook for the accident benefits as well as for the additional compensation you're going to be seeking for pain and suffering, income loss, uh, out-of-pocket expenses, etc. So, you know, it's very, very important to understand that, you know, you can have a whole variety of different types of accidents that happen. Sometimes you're a pedestrian, sometimes you're a cyclist. There's a whole bunch of things that can happen to you uh, out there. If you're injured as a result of someone's negligence, someone did something wrong that caused you injury, that caused you significant injuries, you can't work, you have issues at home now, etc., you give us a call, email us, and don't wait uh, a month, a year, two years, God forbid, longer than two years, right, limitation period, give us a call as soon as you can or have someone in your family give us a call so we can explain to you your legal rights. It's very important. If you don't do things right from the outset, you could be prejudicing your claim down the road and it's going to affect how much money under the law you're going to be able to recover. What if it's none of the above? uh, You don't drive so you're not an insurer and the clown that hit you decided not to carry automobile insurance. You're still fine. Um, In Ontario, there's a fund. It's called the Motor Vehicle Accident Claims Fund. And if you happen to be unfortunate enough to be in a motor vehicle accident with someone who doesn't have proper insurance and you don't have your own, the fund will step in. It's rare, but it happens. Um, We've Mm -hmm. certainly dealt with it in the past and we'll continue to in the future. Um, It's just one more administrative step, but there is an entity there that will, if nothing else is available, they'll step in. So it's not a big deal. The email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Crystal writes in, says, my husband has been on LTD for over a year and a half because degenerative neurological condition, and the insurer says that they'll stop his payments at the 24-month mark. There's two years. Uh, I don't understand why they're doing that. He's a dentist, and this is through private insurance. He's 56 years old. They said he can do something else, but he can't. 
He, uh, he'll hardly leave the house because of his condition. What do we do? What can we do? Well, this is a good opportunity to discuss the change of definition. That's yep. a term that we throw out every now and then. In a typical disability insurance policy, the first two years that you're entitled to benefits, you're going to be entitled as long as you can prove that you are disabled from returning to the job that you had at the time you became disabled. It's called the own occupation period. At the end of those two years, there is what's called a change of definition. And all that means is the definition of disabled under the policy changes at that point in time. And now, after the two years, the definition is now if you cannot return to any occupation. Um, and there's usually some other language around that, but essentially that's what you're looking at. It's before two years is whether you can return to your old job, after two years, any job. Education experience, so on and so forth, right? Exactly. Yeah. So now looking at what Crystal has written in, um, based on what she's written, I mean, it sounds like there's probably a good claim even for beyond that 24-month period, but there's more information that we'd want to know. We'd want to know the extent of his limitations. Um, and, you know, to be totally fair here, there is probably a scenario where someone even suffering from n neurological issues who has difficulty leaving the house might be able to find something that they can do to be employable, something. He's not going to be able to return to being a dentist. But after the two years, that's not the test anymore. So it really depends on what his particular limitations are. And without looking at the medical file, I can't really comment on you know what the likelihood of success would be. But based on what she says, it sounds like there's probably the basis right. for a good claim. The other thing I would add here... Um, this is a really good opportunity to remind our listeners that when you're buying insurance, particularly private insurance like Crystal's husband has bought here, there's almost always an option to buy additional insurance um, and to change the way the insurance works. So we've just talked about this change of definition and how after two years it becomes more difficult to qualify as disabled. Well, you can buy a rider on your policy. It means you pay a few extra bucks a month and after those two years, there's no change of definition. It no means, kidding. Yeah, I actually just went through this process. I'm waiting for my approval right now. Um, and so if after the first two years, you're still not able to return to your old job, if you have the own occupation rider, then that continues to be the test until the policy extinguishes, which is typically your 65th birthday. The other thing that you want to look at is whether or not there is language in the policy in the any occupation period. Uh, that suggests a minimum salary that you have to be able to attain in order to qualify um, as being able to return oh, to wow. work. And so there are a lot of policies where it'll say something like, if you can't return to any occupation that pays at least 60% of what you were earning when you became disabled, then you will qualify. Um, and that's a better test you know, if you're, if you're applying for your benefits or if you're looking at whether or not they're going to mm. uh, cut you off. Um, it's harder for them to cut you off if they have to meet a minimum threshold. And so 60% is often a nice one. And if that rider is available, it's not a bad one to look at too. I want to talk about the money thing when we uh, come back after a short break. The number is one 990 9646 It is help at A few minutes ago, stick around. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. If you haven't checked it out, injurycalculator.ca. Find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. You know, you, you left off uh, last segment, James, talking about money and income. So this, uh, do you find that high earners get cut off or denied LTD more than most people? If so, why is that? Uh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the answer is pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. There's a greater incentive for the insurance company to cut you off. The more money you're earning, 
the more that your two-thirds or 70% or 60% of your income is going to be that they have to pay out if you qualify. So it's not shocking. I mean, nobody should be surprised by this. Um, when you're talking about, um, you know, higher earning jobs, you're also typically talking about sedentary jobs. Not always, but typically that's what you're talking about. And uh, the more sedentary the job is, the less likely that a physical disability is going to prevent you right. from returning to it. So typically when you're talking about high earners, the disability is more likely to be a mental health claim. And as we've talked about many times on this show, the mental health claims are far more frequently denied by disability cool. insurers than the physical ones. Physical ones, you know, if you have an x-ray showing a broken bone, it's a broken it bone. You can't really argue with that. Whereas mental health claims are, by their nature, subjective. And so it is far easier for them to be skeptical and mm-hmm. say, no, this isn't the case. Um, and so, yeah, um, both because they are in a better position to dispute it just based on the subjectivity and I think much more significantly because they have an incentive to, sure. it's a dollar to deny it. You see it far more frequently with high earners. Email is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Danny says, uh, my little sister has been struggling with depression and anxiety all her adult life. She's recently been denied LTD and her psychologist wrote the insurer that they're making her condition worse. Is there anything we can do to make the insurer pay for making her worse? The answer is absolutely yes. Uh, and we've talked about this before on the show about the fact that an insurance company has a duty of good faith to insureds. So they can't just do what they're going to do with the claim for the benefit of the insurer. They have to look out for the best interest of the individual that's applying for disability because that's who they have the contract with. And we have seen time and time again insurance company doing things that are utterly stupid and things that simply don't make sense. And sometimes it's just completely obvious, right? We've talked about some of the examples here on the show. Remember about the guy that, you know, they're forcing him to go back to work uh, and, and he's supposed to be seeing his psychiatrist two days after that deadline is, right? And we've seen other cases. I had a case of, 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 a, of a, a kid that was paralyzed from, you know, the waist down and it was objective. Objectively, he, he was deemed to be paralyzed yeah. for life. I mean, this was, you can go and Google my name and the name Mitch Murphy, and you'll see the National Post did a story on it, CBC. You see cases out there that, you know, I think that you can just send those cases to Hollywood and they'll create a script out of them. You know, what happens in those cases? Well, in those cases, we don't just press for the compensation for the individual, the compensation they're entitled to under the policy. We also push the envelope on punitive damages. We want the insurance company to pay for the fact that they are making our client's life miserable. And you know, at the end of the day, if you think about it, the majority of people out there who are dealing with insurance companies just don't have the strength to deal with an insurer, this billion-dollar entity. And this is why we tell people, give us a call. At the very least, you'll know what your options are. But you know, we've had cases where we've pressed a point. And you know, behind closed doors, when we've arrived at a settlement, it took into account the insurance company's conduct. And they ended up paying more than 100 cents on the dollar. Now, we want to be fair about this, too. It doesn't mean that in every case where someone's suffering from depression or anxiety, that insurance, uh, a disability insurer isn't entitled to deny a claim. But when they're aware that someone is suffering from this kind of disability and they're particularly vulnerable... They have a duty to make sure that they are managing the claim in a proper way. So, you know, after starting a claim, I'm going to request the file and I'm going to be looking, you know, has the insurance company fully and fairly considered her own treating doctor's records and opinions? Have they had her claim assessed by a doctor qualified to give an opinion on mental health conditions, not just a GP? Uh 
Has that doctor carefully and fully considered the entire medical file when they render their opinion? And then has the insurer been fair in their interpretation of the medical opinions in their denial? Or have they just cherry-picked one or two things from an opinion that is otherwise helpful to, you know, to the claimant, um, but, you know, there's one or two things that might not be as helpful, and that's all that they put yeah. there. Um, and you see that a lot. And if the answer to any of those questions is no, if they haven't done what they're supposed to do, I do exactly what Savannah's just talking about. I'm going to bring, a, I'm going to include a claim for punitive damages, and I'm going to push that all the way through mediation and settlement. Before we wrap, uh, Savannah, give me some details uh, about fightformyltd.com. So that's another website that's uh, free to use. If you are in a situation where uh, you or someone you know is battling uh, a long-term disability insurer, you've been cut off or you've been denied LTD, and you want to know, do I have a case? And you don't want to call us for whatever reason. Go to this website, fightformyltd.com. You'll see on the left side of the screen some information that can help you with your case. Uh, And on the right side of the screen, there are five simple questions. It will take you literally 10, 15, maybe 20 seconds to answer, max. And you hit the submit button, we get that, and we'll tell you if, in fact, we think you have a case. Sometimes we'll need some more information, Mm -hmm. but generally speaking, those five questions gives us an idea, an overview of your situation so that we can actually give you uh, you know, the, the answer that you want, which is, can I challenge the insurance company? Right. And again, I, I, I want to, you know, really emphasize this. People out there who are feeling like there is just no hope, that there's nothing they can do with this insurance company once they've been denied once, twice, three times, or LTD, don't simply give up. That is the worst thing that you can do. If you talk to us, we give you the information. We tell you what your options are, what your legal options are. And then you decide to do nothing. That's up to you. That's on you. But to do it blindly does a disservice to you and your family. This is money that is owed to you. No risk in calling either. None. None. No yeah. risk. And it doesn't cost you anything to talk to us. That's what we keep saying. And, you know, I'm telling you, people don't believe it. And then they contact us. They get this information. I'm like, oh, I just thought this was a gimmick. It's not. It's not a gimmick, whether it's by email or by phone, we will give you the information you need to make an informed decision on how to proceed. That email is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. The number is one 990 9646 And fight for my LTD.com, as Savannah just mentioned. Till next time, the Insurance and Injury Law Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.